This recording was brought to you by Media One Audio Visual. To learn more about us, visit us online at MediaOneAudio.com. Okay, I think we're going to get started now. Um, welcome. This is the digital sheet music notation and tablature panel. And I am Shoshana Zisk. I am uh, one of the co-producers of the SF Music Tech Summit. Thank you all for coming. And um, we have, I think, some pretty heavyweights in the industry here today. So I'll start by letting everybody just introduce themselves and um, and also not just say what your role is in the industry, but everybody here is also pretty heavyweight um, artists as well. So you could also mention a little bit about your artistic background as well. I guess we'll just start with you. Well, I've never been called an artist. <laughs> <laughs> a musician, musical artist. My, uh, my name's Joe Brzezinski. I'm uh, with Hal Leonard Corporation, uh, the world's largest print music publisher. I've been with the company for about 13 years, and I head up the digital enterprise. Uh, that includes all things related to uh, music engraving, uh, website development, app development, uh, including our Sheet Music Direct website, where we've been offering uh, downloadable sheet music since 1997, five years before iTunes. <laughs> um, I'm also in charge of transforming our traditional print product uh, into digital counterparts and then making that material available through a large uh, B2B digital warehouse that we have that we call our DAM system. And we make this content, which includes like digital sheets, lyrics, music XML, eBooks, available to third parties through our digital retailer programs. Uh, we have tens of thousands of digital assets. Uh, we're currently publishing four to 500 additional assets per week. And with the advent of uh, music XML, it's opened up an entirely new uh, type of business for us for uh, third parties who want to create uh, derivative products that are based on music notation. Oh, and uh, I do play the trumpet. I'm a classically trained trumpet uh, trumpeter uh, from the Curtis Institute of Music. And uh, that was in the early 80s when uh, it was kind of difficult to make a living in the orchestral uh, realm. I freelanced for a couple of years in New York City and decided one day that, you know, I want to be able to buy a car. <laughs> so uh, at that time, you know, computers were just coming around. People were uh, getting them in their homes and businesses. And I thought, you know, let me get on this uh, computer uh, train here and see where it takes me. And uh, it took me to Hal Leonard. So. And you continue to perform. Yes, I continue to perform. Uh, I play in the, both the uh, Wisconsin Philharmonic and the Festival City Symphony out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Thank you. I'm Beth Sorensen, and I'm with Make Music. And I'm in charge of the development groups for Finale and for all of their notation products as well as our smart music. Um, I, I kind of came to this, I, I think I'll start with the music first. I'm a classically trained violinist and kind of went through the same route that Joan did and ended up spending a couple of years um, freelancing and realizing that I also wanted to buy a car. And so went and went back to school, did a computer science degree at that point, kind of bringing back the technology that had always been interesting before that. Um, after a number of years, I started uh, kind of in the industry in general, ended up at Make Music, where I've been working with Finale now for that um, 14 years. Um, at first, as actually a programmer on the product itself, and then product manager, and now in charge of the development group. Thank you. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm 
just a moderator, but I'm also a musician as well as my degree in classical piano performance, and I'm currently uh, the musical director for Rent in Los Angeles. Uh, so I go to L.A. every weekend, and I do three shows a weekend, and I come back here. So anyways, that's just uh, so I can talk about the music here on the panel. Okay, going on to... <laughs> I'm Peter Mond. I'm vice president of business development for Legato Media. Um, our company provides technology for sheet music viewing and playing back as well as um, for in music XML format so that the, the scores are in, interactive. Um, you can, we can also um, embed PDFs or other graphic formats within our, our viewer player. Um, in, additional, in addition to the viewer player, we also offer a distribution storage uh, system for publishers to um, upload their content and then make it available to various music retailers or from their own retail sites. Um, I'm also a musician, or I, I should say I'm actually a percussionist, because some people make a difference. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've been doing that for many years. I studied at the conservatory here in San Francisco uh, many years ago, and then went uh, to college at Berkeley, the one that spells it correctly on the East Bay. That's where I went. And uh, I still perform, and I'm still active in, in that scene as well. Hi, I'm Michael Good. I'm founder and CEO of Recordare. I'm the inventor of the Music XML format. Started uh, the company back in 2000 with the idea that we needed some sort of standard format for digital sheet music in order to grow the market for, for it. At the time, there wasn't any uh, standard format like MP3s or WAV files are for audio, so we needed something like that to, to get digital sheet music going. Uh, so I've been doing that for the past uh, 11 years. And musically, I started off as a trumpet player. I, I, I had my experience at um, Interlochen Music Camp where I realized that I was never going to make a living as a trumpet player. And so I f should find something I was better at. And computer science turned out to be that. And I uh, became a software developer and worked at Digital Equipment Corporation, SAP, uh, other uh, software companies before starting uh, Recordare. I moved to singing about 20 years ago, and now I sing uh, tenor with the San Francisco Symphony Chorus and with the West Bay Opera Chorus in Palo Alto. Uh, I'm Joe Berkowitz. I'm CEO of NoteFlight, and uh, NoteFlight is a web-based community platform for creating and sharing and publishing scores. Uh, and uh, it is quite a large community, uh, over a quarter of a million registered users today. Um, and uh, it's been called the, the Google Docs of music. In a lot of ways, it, it eliminates the distinction between creation tool and publishing medium. You can simply go to, go to NoteFlight, create a score, or import it from another tool, and uh, that score becomes a page, and that becomes available to other people in a community. Uh, and some of the communities we work with include um, the global community of musicians at noteflight.com. We also do white label communities, so we're about to start uh, supporting Berkeley Media, uh, berkeleymusic.com's community of online learners. Uh, and we also partner with commercial entities, publishers of textbooks, sheet music, you name it. Uh, and uh, I am both a pianist and composer and software developer. And uh, once I bought a car, but I'm now, selli I'm now selling it if anyone wants to buy it. 
Thank you. Okay, so to get started, just to give you guys an idea, we have a very broad segment of uh, everything that goes into digital sheet music and notation represented on this panel. Um, so I guess my first question is, how does music go from being in somebody's head or being heard on the radio to actually getting into a format in print so it can be shared um, or purchased by a fan? Sure, I'll start. Um, Hal Leonard uh, represents artists uh, that are associated with the big labels. So uh, when I when I talk about this, that's the uh, point of view that I'm coming from. Uh, there is, uh, in my opinion, a, a misconception about how songs actually get printed up. It's not like Sony uh, comes to us and hands us the uh, the lead sheet to. Uh, a Beatles song and, and they say print this up and sell it for us. Uh, very rarely do we ever have any kind of source material. Occasionally we'll get uh, a source, a condensed score for a Broadway show or something like that. Uh, but a lot of times, you know, we're working uh, straight from uh, pre-releases of audio tracks or uh, even the CDs themselves. And it's our uh, creative team at Hal Leonard that actually takes that song and uh, transcribes it, uh, either either our editorial staff or a host of uh, outside freelancers and transcribers that we use uh, will do that and uh, apply a creative process to it to see how we can use it across all of our uh, various lines of business, You know, whether it uh, is a uh, piano solo format, a guitar tab format, or uh, you know even a four-part choir, uh, all the way to a, a marching band version of the song. Uh, that's really where uh, our staff comes in uh, and um, you know creates those those new and unique uh, product offerings. Uh, we uh, offer music notation in 147 different formats, so there's a lot to choose from. Uh, and even you know with, with catalogs that have been around for a while, like the Henry Mancini uh, catalog, for example, that we acquired just uh, at the beginning of this year. Uh, we have uh, currently uh, 12 to 15 uh, new works in progress there. So um, that's that's kind of really how it happens. I guess for me, I'll just, um, it starts a little bit earlier. It starts with first that notion of a song that somebody wants to get out. And I realized that um, as I was listening to everybody else, I didn't actually say what Finale is. And that's because <laughs> as the kind of the grandfather of music notation software out there, I'm kind of making the assumption, which is probably incorrect, that everyone knows Finale. Um, but Finale is the, it has been on the market now for more than 20 years as a music notation software. And so when you start writing music, it's, it's something that allows you to, to hear the music, to get that no notion of what it is that's in your head out so other people can see it and play it. And to me, that's where it starts. And then once something becomes something you want to publish, we obviously work with the publishers. We work quite a bit with the, the publishers and engravers to actually take that music and put it in a form that can be sent out to more people and even a broader audience. So if you go to a music store and you buy sheet music, I buy an Eagles anthology book. In many cases, it was originally created using your software which is also consumers can use that same software to create cheap music, but this is also mm -hmm. what the major publishers are using, the same software. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. In I mean, many cases. There's right. also there other, other others. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so we've, we, uh, we have it engraved for uh, major, pu you know, publishers to put into print. Uh, also, how does Noteflight play into there? 
Well, we play into it by providing a, a completely different and more direct model. Uh, we're kind of interested in shattering some of the barriers that have typically isolated uh, creative people from their audience. And uh, we recognize there's a lot of value provided by uh, you know, professional engraving and commercial publishing and so forth, but we are trying to provide, uh, among other things, a conduit for any creative person to walk up to uh, a notation tool in their browser, create a work, and decide who they want to share it with, which could be the whole world at that moment. I mean, with, with the internet at our service, we don't really need to have the kind of, um, the kind of barriers uh, that, ha that have uh, traditionally worked well for uh, print production and, you know, ways of distribution that require a large investment. That investment isn't needed anymore if you want to reach lots of people. So we're interested in, in, in uh, taking, this, uh, taking this approach to, uh, to any composer who wants it. And then continuing along, I guess, in the chain, so you have it, now it's printed, and it's in uh, a format uh, that, that is digital. Um, how does, I know as, as a consumer myself that I, uh, sometimes there's a piece of sheet music that I want, uh, I'll go online. It used to be I'd go down to my store, the stores are disappearing, sort of parallel with the, we can get into that in a minute, with the uh, audio recording industry, but I'll go online and I'll say, I want to buy this as a digital download. Um, so now it's created, you want to talk a bit about your roles in, in that process as well? Yeah, well, that's one of the um, technologies that our company provides in terms of getting the material from the publisher or from an individual, from, a, from an artist, available online, or it can also be uh, delivered uh, through a CD or DVD. So it's really our, our goal here is to make this as accessible as possible, along with what we were calling the Legato Vault, where we can take that content and make it available through various retail channels all at once. So it's sort of a many-to-many -many model. And it works since we are using open source. Basically, our, our viewer player is Flash-based in, in its current version. As I mentioned, it uses Music XML as well as PDFs. So we're trying to keep this as open and as, as available as possible to the largest number of people. And what role has Music XML had in making all this possible? <laughs> uh, Music XML, when I started the company, I was hoping that this would be a digital format for both the interchange of music between programs and also a distribution format to consumers so you could buy the music once and then use it in whatever application you wanted. That was before I entered the music industry and realized that not just, not just from publishers, but directly from artists and composers, there was resistance to, you don't want to have fully modifiable versions out there because an artist, uh, a songwriter, some songwriters might, but other songwriters and composers don't want to have people have the ability to freely modify whatever is in the score for an arrangement and then redistribute it and claim it is their work or the composer's work. Either way, don't, don't want that to happen. So Music XML's role now is pervasive behind the scenes. It's a, it's a business to business format primarily. It's also used as a consumer format for public domain music, like a choral public domain library, Wikiphonia. Uh, Wikiphonia is not a public domain, but licensed. So there are some uh, applications that Music XML is available in a, in a licensed format. Uh, but it's used mainly in the preparation. A composer uses Sibelius and the publisher uses Finale or, or something along those lines. We just had an order 
from uh, Musicopius working in Dancing with the Stars. He says, I, uh, can you send this out to me? I got this Sibelius file here, and I need to get this into Finale because our uh, orchestrator wants it in Finale. And so send them the plugin. They can then export a Sibelius, the Sibelius to Music XML, bring that into Finale, do the editing they want, then get it on the stands of the people who are playing in the orchestra for, for Dancing on the Stars and movies like Avatar, as well as print publication. Thank you. Okay, so I, that's that's pretty much, I guess, a broad overview of the industry. Uh, we'll have, if you have more questions about uh, specific uh, roles that these people play, we'll be opening up for questions at the end of the panel. Uh, but now let's get into some more like juicier issues uh, that that are facing these guys right now. So um, first of all, like we've all seen uh, what's been going on with books as people move to Kindle, and we see what's been going on with record stores and with the audio industry as people and, you know, piracy that was affecting uh, uh, audio recordings. I know since they invented the Xerox machine, these guys have been kind of grappling with that and stuff. So uh, that would be my next question is what parallels uh, can, can you uh, uh, kind of elaborate upon with, the, with those industries and what uh, your industries? Seems as though sheet music has been uh, not as affected, uh, and and there's sort of a, a good and a bad side to that. You know, I, I think the reason it hasn't been as affected is because digital assets haven't come to play as central a role in the sheet music uh, industry as as they could, um, and and I think a lot of this has to do with the lack of a cost-effective digital delivery device that you could really put on your instrument or on a music stand. And I know we're going to be talking about tablets and iPad later, but I think that for that reason, uh, paper has continued to play a really important role in sheet music consumption. And so you don't have this, uh, as in those other industries, digital assets really being piped right to the point of consumption. There's this interruption where you have to grab something and print it. and uh, uh, if you're buying it from a commercial site, they only want you to print it once. And so we don't have that same kind of ease of consumption that I think has driven uh, the sort of ubiquitous piracy and, and information spread everywhere as in the other industries. Oh, I can elaborate a little bit more on that. In the, I, I looked up the numbers again last night just in case this question came up. The uh, overall, the digital... Uh, audio as a percentage of overall digital downloads as a percentage of the recorded music markets like 29-30% according to IFPI figures for last year. If you take available industry information uh, you round that up for digital sheet music it's like 2% of the overall print music market so it's you know one fifteenth the size of where digital audio is. I think in large part that that is as Joe mentioned because with the iPad is like the first mass market device. I mean, Freehand was a pioneer in digital sheet music devices many, many years ago, but being a special purpose device, it was hard to make the, the economics of that work on a large scale. With the iPad and Android tablets, and who, who knows what other tablet platforms are gonna come out. Uh, finally, paper doesn't get in the way. You can have a fully digital experience from the creation through the distribution to the download and the markup and whatever you want to do with the, the digital sheet music. In the interim, when we've had paper in the way, the experience of buying digital sheet music um, from current systems really is reminiscent of trying to buy digital audio before iTunes. 
was invented. Now, many people in the audience probably don't know, don't remember trying to buy audio before iTunes <laughs> was, was out there. Oh, we just downloaded from Napster. But if you, if you tried to buy it, it, it was a very consumer hostile experience. And with the paper-based uh, systems, it tends to be that way. The limitations on the number of prints you can do, the, the, the klutzy interfaces to it. So I think that is really going to be going away pretty soon with the tablet interfaces, which provide a level of digital rights management that both consumers and publishers are reasonably happy with. Yeah, I would agree um, with that, and I would also add that we're, we're seeing the changes from some of our clients in terms of digital downloads versus print, where the print sales have remained fairly static or gone up one or two points, and they see double-digit increases in their digital downloads. Now, it's still a fraction of the revenue from the print side. However, we do see that there's a, a positive growth trend there. And we're also seeing it with some of our um, clients in music education. Companies like McGraw-Hill and Pearson Education are moving more and more, getting away from the textbooks and making their content only available in a digital format. And that's not just for the English, math, and science curriculum. It's actually moving into the music curriculum, which is a bit surprising because as some of you may know, an uh, elementary school music teacher may or may not know what classroom they're going to be in or whether they'll have access to a computer. But they're still moving ahead and, and taking that initiative. So the, the latest curriculums that are going to be coming out over the next few years are going to be exclusively digital and print on demand. And I would think maybe the consumers are a little bit a little bit different then because anybody can buy an audio track and enjoy it, but you have to have a certain amount of literacy to buy sheet music and enjoy it. And I thought it's interesting that education would be such a large part of your market. And also, you, I guess you all had mentioned that churches um, are a huge part of the market as well just because of the live. So I could see that as being a little bit different. Do you want to chime in on this topic at all? I just wanted to add to, the, um, to some of what Joe was saying earlier when kind of got echoed as it went down the path <laughs> um, about the devices is I think that in addition to the devices, there's still the interaction that needs to be just needs to be a bit stronger. Absolutely. There's still advantage with paper that you can mark things up, you can even cut the page and make your page turn exactly where you want. And until that interaction is as smooth in mm. the digital world, you're going to still see the desire for paper, I think, in the consumer. Right. I mean, we're seeing the Absolutely. first crop of iPad you know, mm -hmm. score viewers, right. and, and they're all treating the page as a given. It's, it's a reproduction of the original 8.5 by 11 oh, page shrunk. Almost all. Almost all. There's a few uh, you know, that, are, that are ahead of the pack. That's true. But mm -hmm. that's where it started. You know? oh, and absolutely. I think there's still, mm -hmm. in, in the industry overall, a bias towards mm -hmm. reproducing yeah. that. Yeah. I think uh, print books have really evolved in a very different way than uh, the audio industry has. You know, if you think back to, well, when I was a kid, you, know, you go out and buy a, an LP, and you get this nice, uh, nice uh, box with a beautiful cover art on it. Nice record jacket inside had lyrics printed on it, marketing materials on the back, uh, and that progressed to the long form cassette box, and then ultimately down to just the cassette itself. And today, uh, we're at the point where you know you just have a, a CD jewel case with a thin little piece of uh, paper in it. And uh, books, uh, print books have really progressed in a very different way uh, with the inclusion of uh, supplemental audio and, and video. Uh, there could be supplemental content available from a website. Uh, now we have interactive books and apps. 
And, uh, you know, if you think about the comparison between the two, it's, it, it seems like the recording industry really evolved to uh, the delivery vehicle, whereas uh, the print industry really evolved in a way that uh, enriched and, and had a much more intimate relationship with the consumer. That's kind of how we see that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so my next question is, um, I know you had mentioned DRM a little bit. I don't know how much... Uh, the audience realizes that the digital rights management and some of the tensions between the licensing and the copyright law and how that impacts uh, your business models and how digital sheet music is created and delivered and the consumer experience. So if you want to get into some of those issues right now, no, um, maybe we'll start on this side. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, to be fair. <laughs> DRM, DRM for us is really a double-edged sword uh, where on one hand, you know, we have to protect the intellectual property of the uh, the rights holder, but then we don't want to get in, in the way of uh, the consumer experience, and we really have to find a balance there. Um, we were required early on uh, by the rights holders to include some sort of uh, print protection in uh, what we deliver, but we see that loosening up now. Um, and you know, as things loosen up, I, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer that if uh, you create a compelling product and consumer experience, I think there's a certain amount of uh, rights management that consumers are going to put up with. And I think that's really the key. Yeah, I think technology is raising some new questions about what consumers can and should be able to do. So, for instance, if I buy, um, you know, a copy of, of, of work from a publisher, I might want to use a technology like NoteFlight on, on the consuming end to add phrase marks or dynamics or, uh, you know, possibly even to tweak the rhythm. Maybe I'm translating the lyrics to another language and the syllables don't quite fit. You know, I should be, I paid for the music. I should be able to do that, I feel. But the current framework of rights doesn't permit me to make those changes and print the score multiple times until I get it right and so forth. Even very simple things like just annotating a score and writing remarks on it are going to lead people to maybe expect to print more than once because there's something plastic and modifiable about the work they bought now. And our, our, our publishing system and our legal system isn't really well set up to give consumers what they want in this, these areas. Yeah, so I can kind of elaborate a little bit just as a consumer. So if I go to uh, one of these sheet music websites and I want to buy, the most recent one I bought it, Rolling in the Deep by Adele. I wanted to show it to my daughter how to play on the piano. So, um, so I bought it, and then after you buy it, um, then the next thing that they want you to do is to download, in some cases, uh, some websites, but the one that I had gone to, they want you to download software that can then read it. Um, and then you can only print it two times. Um, and then after that, your license has expired. So th it's, I think it's, it's pretty strong DRM. I mean, there hasn't been like any revolt. I know yours is flash-based, which is a little bit nicer because it's always like, why do I have this EXE file? I just watched the music. Why can't it be a PDF? But it is nice that uh, you get it, and because of the, um, the format that it's in, you can transpose it. Uh, you, can, you can listen to it. You can play. It's not just a, a PDF. So there's definitely benefits for that, but this is one of those, I guess, tensions between the copyright owner. Um, and the other one that you had, had mentioned is that, that even though the technology exists for you to be able to, um, to edit the music and make an arrangement, maybe I wanna take the music I got, remove some of the octaves so my daughter, whose hand isn't quite big enough to play an octave, you know, can, can play it. That's something that, um, that the copyright owners really don't like. 
you know, that that you can, I guess in the same way that they, I guess people who wrote Harry Potter wouldn't want you to be able to buy it in a dock format. But the technology, so I guess so, some of these tensions, you know, that, I don't know if any of you want to kind of elaborate on that. Yeah, one of the things I, I've really enjoyed about these SF Music Tech conferences over the, over the years is tracking how licensing deals are evolving in audio because you can, you know, print music as a smaller area than audio. So if you can see more interesting types of deals happening in audio, then you say it gives, it gives you hope that you might be able to get more interesting deals in print music. And one of the interesting trends has been the increased licensing of remix type of applications, whether just for remixing or in Facebook games or MXP4, things like that. So with that type of licensing in audio apps, we're seeing perhaps more opportunity to license digital sheet music in a way that goes beyond being a paper substitute that you can also transpose and play, but something that perhaps you could use for a tablet equivalent of a smart music or a Tanara or a music minus one type of application where you can play along with the accompaniment. It's an auto accompaniment uh, system then that you can use for practicing a solo line with, with an ensemble and make, make practice more fun. Uh, whether it's something like the video scores that the musescore.com folks are, are putting together. Things that have more increased interactivity with the musician to do something other than just be a paper substitute that also happens to play back. I think, I think trends are slowly happening in that direction, but it's, it's been slow, and it's been slow for the 10 years I've been in the business, so hopefully it gets a little bit faster sooner. One of the interesting things about scores is that they, they, they are always remixed in a certain sense. I mean, when you play a score, you're, re you're recreating it. And I think there's something about the medium that's a little different from audio. It's not just uh, an object that's received in the form it was created. It's something that you use as a tool to create something new as a performer. So this ability to modify may be much more you know, uh, relevant to this medium than, than remixing is to audio for many people. So you have Finale, which is uh, desktop-based uh, mm -hmm. uh, software, and you have NoteFlight, which does uh, also browser-based. Yeah, yeah, but, it, but it's browser-based and it's in the cloud. Do you maybe want to address a little bit what the what the differences are, how uh, your user experience and your social experience? Um, <laughs> I guess I'll start. Okay. <laughs> um, I think you know there's a. Uh, we kind of started this with are are these um, going after the same customers and and I I would say they're not really they they've got very different potentials to them and they they kind of have a, a different value as to what matters um, with something like Finale it's really um, um, it's going to be a little more of an individual experience with you working on your music, working through the more complete, um, probably a larger scale work, larger scale um, plugins that you want to use. You have the ability and the power of that whole system behind you. Um, you can obviously share the files, you can share the output of all of this, but it's it's much more um, about kind of that the 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 power that's available to you on that system. Um, and I think you know I'll, I'll let Joe speak for himself. Okay. So no, I think that's I think you're you're right on target. <laughs> you know, so I, I mean, the, the earliest uh, generation of of uh, notation software was like all software of its time, kind of geared to an individual creating uh, a document and perfecting it, and you know, making it really beautiful and and, and perfect in every way. And and I think that. Uh, 
you know, a tool like NoteFlight uh, that is situated inside the web and which is, is sort of takes the web for granted uh, or takes sharing and social concerns for granted is kind of aimed at somebody who's not maybe creating the perfect thing painstakingly. They're creating something quickly probably. It might not be a large work. They're about, these people want to create an idea and get it out there and get something back from, the, get a signal back from the world that they're communicating with. So, um, you know, it's not just that the technology is different in a browser and, you know, on the desktop, but that the concerns are different. Um, I think our users are very, are, are, are doing shorter term, shorter cycles of revisions. Uh, less they features, less need for all the engraving. Yeah, there's the no moment at which they publish it. They're like, it's like, um, you know, people writing blog posts. They, they write down an idea and they don't perfect it and they get it out there and they get comments and they get feedback and they do another one. They could be like tweeting phrases. Uh, they yes, that some people are doing exactly <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> 140 notes, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's actually quite a lot. Yeah. Okay, so this will be my last uh, question before I open it up to the audience. So where do you see the future over the next five years? I know that everybody, not just you guys, but every industry is excited about the iPad and the possibilities, a tablet, mobile, you know, uh, you know what, where, do you, where do you see this industry going? <laughs> I'll start then. I, I, I think that the, that it's clear. Well, I was really. Uh, I went to the Music Messa Music Instrument Fair in, in, in Germany a month or two ago. What impressed me there was that how even some of the most conservative uh, classical music publishers could see that iPads and similar tablets, whether it's Android tablets or WebOS or, or Blackberry or Apple tablets, that tablet computers are the way that things are going to be going in the digital sheet music world that, uh, and the sheet music world in general. Doesn't mean that paper's going to go away. None of these digital media supplant totally the previous one, but that there's going to be much more use of, of tablet devices as, as a distribution medium for, for sheet music and that not just as a paper substitute, but with some other uh, additional interactivity. Exactly how it plays out who knows, but we're finally at a level where we have the base technology in place to be able to allow the music to be shared and developed in new applications, and we have hardware technology that's at least good enough to criticize, that's good enough for a first, <laughs> first version of, of, of distribution uh, digital, digitally, digitally. So it's a very exciting time. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. I know you brought a visual aid of the comparison. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I sing in the symphony chorus. So this, this is the, the folder that I used last, you know, yesterday in our Mahler 2 performance and the, the sheet music. So is that a photocopy? This <laughs> 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 uh, is copyright, San Francisco Symphony Chorus, Mahler. Okay, so you had permission. <laughs> I had to pay for this, this piece of sheet music from the Mahler 2. Where, and so, you know, an iPad is even a, a smaller, lighter form factor than this. Now the iPad's heavier. Hmm? The iPad's heavier. Uh, <laughs> well, compared to that, I know. If it's, a, it, if it's a, a Mises Alumnus, then, then this is lighter. <laughs> um, and the form factor is pretty close to what you need. It, it's, it's about 50% uh, less screen area than what I have on, on the Mahler 2. But for certainly piano vocal music, this is, this is good enough. It'd be a lot better if it was a fold-out, so you could have two pages, so you could see 
more of it. But yeah, these are going to be coming. Different form factors are, are coming. You can make it lighter by erasing some of the files. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely used it by myself <laughs> as, a, as musical director for Rent, and I met with like all the different instrumentalists individually, and I had our scores are very big, you know, be like two binders, act one and act two like this, and I travel on the airplane, so I put, I just put everything on the iPad, just in PDF format, it's of course going to evolve into ways that you can edit in this and stuff, I had the bass score, the guitar score, I meet with them, I put the iPad on the music stand, and they could actually flip through it very, very quickly, um, so, and I don't, I was like, God, how do I think of this, you know, but I'm sure everybody else is uh, uh, thinking, thinking about it, and thinking about ways to, to use the iPad to actually uh, you know, app, I'm sure the App Store within 24 to 48 months uh, will have some very interesting things coming out. Um, anybody else want to mention their yeah, thoughts I, on the future? I agree with um, uh, Mike, Michael that the uh, the iPads, the the first real form factor where um, true digital sheet music, uh, where it can be used to to perform uh, digital sheet music, and I'm talking about music that's more than just chords uh, and lyrics. Uh, but I think there is uh, there are some social and economic barriers that uh, are going to leave a large segment of the population out. Uh, but you know, I, I see the uh, the entry point into that market uh, coming down. Uh, but as far as print goes, I think we're going to see more and more uh, of the, our traditional print uh, be supplemented with uh, digital content. Uh, you know, this could be uh, audio apps. Uh, could be, uh, you know, supplemental material, uh, ebook editions, uh, whatever the case is. It may even get to the point where uh, the digital product now becomes the norm, and uh, the printed form is really the value add to the digital. So I kind of see it uh, maybe evolving in that way. But uh, for printed sheet music to uh, totally go away, I'm, I'm not convinced that that's ever going to happen. I think something we may see more of uh, that I'm interested in is uh, more use of sheet music as a way for artists and creators to directly reach their audience. Um, and you know, paper's not going away, commercial publishing is not going away, but I see all kinds of, uh, in the audio world especially, artists are more and more using recordings not, not only as a way to make money selling them, but as a way to build their fan base, to stimulate interest in, in what they do and in their creative process. And I think for artists uh, you know, who, for, for whose work sheet music makes sense as a, as a way of capturing it in some way, um, you know this the disappearance of this barrier is going to lead to some new uh, new ways that sheet music can add value to the music business and the economy I wanted to add one one small point if there are any tablet manufacturers in the audience please give me an anti-glare option that's my <laughs> number, number one complaint with the iPad right now not the screen size not the resolution the the, the, the glary screen I'd just like to add too, I mean, we've, there's been a lot of discussion about this as the consumption of digital music, but I think there's also the creation of that music. And I think that the tablet, again, is going to play a big part in that. The getting uh, a little more directness in the creation and in, in writing music and manipulating it and changing it is going to be a huge thing as all of that kind of interaction starts becoming more, um, more real. 
and just a, a little more intimate than it than it is with a computer and a mouse and a keyboard. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to just have your desktop at every band practice, and so there are a lot of people who just <laughs> want to have a paper on their knees so they can jot notes. But if it's just on your little eye, you know, yeah. that that it, I could definitely see that being you know supplanting the pad of paper with the uh, with the staff. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you. Um, do we have any questions? <laughs> All right, if you Not everybody at once. <laughs> if we actually, is this on? We're recording this panel, so the people who couldn't be here, uh, I guess you can go first and just pass the mic. Okay. Uh, hi, I'm Paul Melnichuk. Uh, so recognizing that at, at this end of the table, um, we've got Joe kind of representing tools for uh, people who may not be motivated in publishing um, engraving quality uh, type scores, but maybe for education and such. And then on this side of the table, we have, um, you know, with Beth uh, and Make Music, uh, tools for engraving quality, and Hal Leonard being, of course, the publisher and distributor of that. So I'm wondering if um, perhaps, Joe, you could maybe speak to, in just very broad terms, um, a budget that would be typical for transcribing maybe just a PVG score or something, re recognizing that, you know, band, chorus, it's all over the map, but in some, either via time or dollars, what is Hal Leonard view as being the cost to taking a song and, and, and transcribing that? And uh, that's, a, so that's a great question, but I don't have an answer for you. I'm, okay. not, I'm not really involved on, on yeah. the cost side of uh, uh, the creation of our, our sheets. So okay. unfortunately, I can't give you an answer. Okay, let me go then to the second right. question. Do I get an answer? <laughs> yeah. I'll keep asking questions until we get an answer. So the second uh, question is... But he is, could talk about the manpower and the IT. That doesn't yeah. So um, most of us in this room have probably taken their vinyl and converted that to CD maybe 20 years ago. And we did so because we were convinced that um, CD sounded better, there were less ticks and pops, there was a value proposition that we all bought. Uh, uh, maybe starting with Joe, can you convince me why as a personal user, um, and let's just assume that I'm, I'm doing this for myself and not sharing it with a million of my closest friends, but I've already scanned now my bookshelf into PDF, and uh, I've got that already on my iPad. Um, what values uh, or features do you think consumers would be willing to pay for specifically in order to upsell them from their scanned, photocopied, whatever sheet music? Or, or let's just even say that it's still sitting on the bookshelf and people are still using paper as you believe they, they will, particularly um, people who are price sensitive. But what features would be required, perhaps made possible by Music XML, that would enable you through your DAM system to now to sell profitably and upsell to the consumer and, and at what price point do you think that that would be required? Just taking a very simple pop PVG score, um, what would it take in order for a consumer who already bought that title to now buy that once again in a digital form and, and follow a paradigm that we've all followed in the last 20, 25 years of going from vinyl to CD and now book or, or individual folios to digital sheet music. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Well, I think the, um, the music XML format uh, really opens up a whole new world for us uh, by taking that example score that you're talking about and exporting it to a standardized format that's predictable. Uh, we can now write programs against it to create new derivative products and it's only limited by 
you know, the, the thoughts in, in all of your heads out there, uh, what, what I can do with that product uh, that is music notation based. It might be something as, as uh, simple as generating uh, an audio backing track that now you can play uh, along with, with your scanned copy. So it could be something as simple as that, or you know, like I said, it's only limited by you know your imagination. So I see that really as the value add uh, for that upsell. As far as how that would be priced, I think it really depends on uh, you know how how uh, how complicated, how how rich the experience is. Do you want to speak to that question as well, or? Mm -hmm. Okay, I know really. you have <laughs> Okay. Hi, my name is Kerry Rose, and I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. And just to qualify my question a little bit, I have a background working with Avid, so with Sibelius product, and also I worked at Rocket Network, I was grateful, which sort of there's became a, a, a sort of Rosetta Stone for, you know, exchange between other applications. I was really grateful for that experience. I need to know a little bit more about Music XML. You know, is there a la MIDI? Is there a manufacturer's organization? Is there a standardization of Music ah, XML? And are we planning on sort of standardizing perhaps, you know, maybe along the lines of the DRM question, you know, permissions-based layers, right? Mm -hmm. There's the locked down, can't touch it layer. There's the I need to mark it up layer. There's the I need to modify, transpose, et cetera. So mm -hmm. just curious to know kind of where Music XML sure. or anything else like that is headed? Sure, excellent questions. Uh, Music XML is licensed under an open source style license that can uh, basically modify W3C license. So you can, t you can use Music XML in your products. You don't have to ask us permission. If you want to modify it, you can do that and you don't have to ask permission. Most people haven't done that because then they limit their, their exchange with, with other programs, but it's, it's perfectly allowed by the, the uh, license. We're following right now an Adobe uh, model that they use for Acrobat in terms of Recadare owns the copyright and Recadare is the, the uh, gatekeeper on how Music XML evolves. We're right now at Music XML 2.0, but we're doing active development on Music XML 3.0 and 3.0 should be shipping um, later in this quarter, probably sometime next month. We have an active community that's involved in discussing the changes to the, the Music XML uh, there's a mailing list that is involved. We get you know, a lot of feature requests and people discuss them. A lot of the best ideas for Music XML 1.1, 2.0, 3.0 have come from developers on the list. Uh, about, yeah, it was six years ago maybe at this point, we had gotten, people said, well, why don't you standardize this in Oasis or uh, uh, W3C or some, some different standards organization and our clients came back and said, no, 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 you don't want to do that because the technology isn't mature enough yet. You need to be able to respond rapidly to um, changes and you can't do that in a standards organization. And that was the best advice we ever got because shortly after that we got a substantial contract to make a lot of changes to, to make basically a lossless version of Music XML where Music XML 1.0 had the musical information but it only had very limited graphics uh, capabilities. Music XML 1.1, it's it's practically lossless in terms of it's it's going from uh, the source to another program. So all the graphical details are specified there. At some point, uh, transferring it to a group like MIDI Manufacturers Association or some other group makes sense, but that's that's down the line. And Recadari is a member of the MIDI Manufacturers Association, and 
uh, uh, I've been involved as an invited expert in the uh, W3C's audio incubator group. The other question you had was about the digital rights management aspect, and Yamaha and uh, Hal Leonard and Make Music, Recordare, and there was, uh, oh no, I'm leaving out a stakeholder, uh, Music Sales, uh, worked together a couple of years ago on the open score format, uh, which was based on top of Music XML 2.0 and added the provisions for having digital rights management to it. I, I went around to folks at NAM a few years ago to see if folks were interested, and I was like, uh, I, I had publishers there saying, I don't know if I'm really interested in digital rights management. It's, that was the first time, yeah, that was my reaction uh, in, 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 the, in this particular context. Um, Yamaha was doing a lot of the driving force behind that. I think they had some product ideas that they wanted to ship with that, but they haven't shipped it yet, so there hasn't been a lot of movement there. But the way it's, it's structured, you can do something like use open score format, build some other DRMs on top of it. That's, that's all open and available. There hasn't been a lot of interest in that to date. And then you. <laughs> um, so, hi, I'm Ben. And um, you were saying how uh, every performance is an interpretation and therefore basically a remix of a score, right? In some sense. It depends sense, on right. the score. So right now people share their personal performances of popular music on YouTube. Like all my friends will post covers of Adele yeah. or whatever. Mm -hmm. Do you see an opportunity to organize that activity around the unifying concept of a score? Absolutely. Actually, yes. Brooke is next. <laughs> Brooke Wentz was next after. Go on, you can answer. I was just saying. No, I think I think that when you have communities that are enab enabled with, uh, you know, score creation and and sharing and commentary and modification, you're going to get that activity organically. And that is exactly what we see on NoteFlight, you know, with people publishing scores, inviting commentary, other people talk about it. Uh, it's a little hard to tell when and if people are actually performing that music because a lot of the commentary is on the content of the scores rather than on, I played it and here's how the concert mm -hmm. went or the whatever the gig. But uh, I think there will be much more of that. Right, Uh, yeah, actually very soon we will be introducing features to synchronize recordings and videos with scores on NoteFlight, and that will probably lead to a lot more of this kind of synergistic, uh, you know, performance plus score activity. Okay, I'll be very short. <laughs> um, um, I have a business called The Rights Workshop and we do clearances and over the past year I've gotten a variety of new businesses as well as established businesses that want to clear scores. Um, and two things, one is it constantly comes up is the time it takes to clear scores is outrageous and I wish you guys would get up to speed with at least how at least how fast like synchronization clearances happen because because there are so many new companies I'm just wondering if you've seen that I assume that you're getting more of a plethora of people coming to you to want scores is that correct and then the other part of this is that the other thing is once we start doing these deals especially with the bigger companies we get kind of stopped sometimes because what they do is they've found out that people like user-based um, companies are taking uh, they'll say okay this is our new business but then they'll go and they'll research it and they'll find out that those scores or the the print is actually lifted from another 
company and put in. And so all of a sudden there's like, oh no, we can't license to this company because they're using unlicensed material. So what you're seeing is, and this, I mean, I just got a note today from a deal, big deal that I'm doing right now. Oh no, we can't do this because we see that some European company is, oh, they took the scores from this place. And so, I mean, obviously what you're seeing is a lot of people are, you know, clipping and pasting and putting it in places. So I know you're, um, you know, probably, you know, overseeing this, but you guys, are, is there going to be some changes happening? Especially Mr. Well. Leonard? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Leonard. Uh, well, <laughs> it is a very complicated process, um, you know, navigating the rights uh, landscape is just, it's almost a nightmare. And I, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not involved with that part of the business, but I, I feel your pain. I know, I mean, we feel it too. I mean, just tracking down who the copyright owner is is sometimes a challenge. Yeah, unfortunately, no one on this panel is really the person you need to complain to because none, none of our companies, I mean, hell, has copyrights in, in educational material, but mostly you're, you're a licensor, uh, uh, as, as are our companies when we deal with music. So it's the music publishers who are... Uh, but it, it then gets involved with another layer on top because you can get some licensing from Hal Leonard and Alfred in music sales, but other licensing you can't, and you can go direct or you can go through them. And has somebody signed an exclusive digital license or have they not? And when what print edition are they? It's yeah, it's you take the standard complication of music rights licensing, and then you layer another set of rights on top of it, and it makes it even worse. And it would help our business tremendously if we had a better answer and. I, I wish I could be more optimistic, but <laughs> it's like one of the limitations of copyright law because they spend so so you can tell the resources spent to like take music, they get the right, and then it's like to transcribe it and engrave it and to create their own arrangement that's going to be playable and enjoyable and consumable. And you take the the same thing where somebody writes a song and somebody performs it, which is also equal amount of work, and you own a copyright in that performance, but. I understand you don't actually own a copyright in making that arrangement and so then you can write it you as soon as you put it out there other people can copy it put it on their site and sell it and I don't, I don't know what it, what what your recourse would be you know so it, it for us it, it really comes down to the uh, the uh, scale of the infringement I mean there are all sorts of illegal sites out there right now and you know we'll we'll go out and uh, take action against some of them but it you know but I could see that becoming a big issue for you. So I guess the, the tip would be to find who the actual copyright owner is in the songwriting and say, who have you, you know, and just like try to follow on that chain. Okay, we have only one minute. So I guess you have the last question. Then you're free to come up and speak to them okay. uh, after. This is for Joe. Uh -huh. It's been close to 40 years since I played guitar in the orchestra pits on Broadway. And of course, we used paper. Yep. And I look at your product and I'm saying, gee, if this was networkable and they could sync and all the musicians have the tablet mm -hmm. and pages are turned automatically and everybody knows where they are rather than yep. getting lost. Do you have a product like that? Or, or will you have a product or close, like that? Or close to it. Uh, I think that on this, in the pit or in a complex multi-party you know, multi performance situation, there are a lot of interesting additional interaction problems to be solved. We're very interested in them. Uh, and we're looking at them, but we don't have a date or anything to, to tell you about when we will address that. But it's something we're very interested in. I have a couple of things on that. There are score augmentation products that are out there, which of course are used to reduce the number of 
union musicians in pits, but they can also be very helpful for amateur performances in, in filling out uh, orchestras. And there's also, you know, Harry Connick's band, of course, has been performing off of computers. Great example. For, <laughs> for about 10 years now. Hi, I'm Ross, um, and I'm a lawyer uh, in New York, and I do a lot of anti-piracy work for a lot of publishers. Mm -hmm. um, so did I get that wrong? <laughs> I was like, I, I wonder if I was wrong. Which, which, which thing? <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, and uh, I just want to say that uh, publishers do uh, jealously guard their, their content, and in the print world, uh, they have the exclusive right to make arrangements. I mean, they do uh, give rights to Hal Leonard and to Alfred and to Music Sales. Music Sales has its own uh, publishing company, of course. Um, and it is difficult to, uh, to get licenses. And there, unfortunately, there is a great, great deal of piracy on the internet, mostly PDFs, uh, not much in the way of digital downloads. But uh, the uh, National Music Publishers Association, for whom I uh, do do anti-piracy, uh, we have a, a, a program where we are trying to take down uh, illegal lyric sites and illegal sheet music sites, illegal tablature sites, but there are licenses available for those sites that do want to uh, to have a lawful uh, business. Uh, it, it's not an easy thing to do to take down thousands and thousands of sites, and many of these sites are offshore and have used offshore ISPs. But it is a it's a difficult difficult. So it'd be business. good for you and Brooke to get together to help her to identify I'm, the proper rights holders. I'd, I'd be delighted <laughs> to help. Okay. <laughs> We've actually uh, had some success with uh, getting some of the illegal sites to actually come under the legal umbrella, and um, that seems to be uh, from the dark. an easier <laughs> an easier path than uh, actually trying to shut them down because they just pop up again somewhere else. That's right. All right. Let's have a big. Round of applause. If you have any more questions, we'll thank you. Thank you.